As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow ward member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors in your ward and you just don't know what to say to them, so you just ignore them? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow man while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? Personally, I've struggled with all those experiences. This is why Leading Saints is putting together the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, where we will learn from 20 plus individuals who all have a unique perspective or an expertise in the LGBT Latter-day Saint experience. It's free to attend, so don't miss it. To learn all about the details, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. We hope you will join us so that we can all learn together. Hey everyone, this is Kurt Frankum with the Leading Saints podcast. I welcome you back. And if you're brand spanking new, I'm so glad you found us. We are Leading Saints, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And the way we do that is through various resources like this very podcast. But we also have a website at leadingsaints.org where you can find uh, thousands of articles. You'll also find resources like virtual summits that we have one coming up. You'll find a weekly newsletter that has unique content that we send out every week, which you can subscribe to at leadingsaints.org slash contact. So like I said, we do virtual summits. We have another virtual summit coming up in September, and it's called LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, where we are do- going to do a deep dive into this concept of being an LGBT Latter-day Saint and how to better minister as leaders to LGBT Latter-day Saints in a way that will help them find not just a place to fit in, but true community and a place to to worship God and to reach sanctification like well, well like we are all doing. And we're doing it in conjunction with North Star. We've talked a lot about North Star on the podcast before. They are a, a partner in this uh, virtual summit. They are an organization that helps LGBT Latter-day Saints find community amongst other Latter-day Saints who are striving to keep their their covenants in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's going to be a phenomenal Summit that you don't want to miss. I'll put the link in the bio. Basically, it's leadingsaints.org slash LGBT. You can register for free. This is a free virtual summit like all of our virtual summits are, and it begins in September. I'm aiming for September 8th, and that will uh, is when we will drop, and you'll be able to see all the content, about 20-plus speakers that we're going to be featuring in that. So don't miss it. Now, one of those speakers and one of those presentations we're going to feature in this episode right now. It's a presentation by Richard Osler, who you probably all know from the Listen, Learn, and Love podcast, which is a very popular Latter-day Saint podcast, and where he has really straightforward, real conversations with individuals, with Latter-day Saint individuals with diverse backgrounds, specifically uh, those that uh, are in the LGBTQ community. So, Really, well worth uh, subscribing there. And so, in this presentation, Richard he goes through a presentation that he get, has given at many churches or firesides, and it is phenomenal. And so, it's going to be a little bit different, where he'll just sort of firehose us with a lot of good information, and then we will then I'll ask him some questions 
at the end. And so this will be a sneak peek, a preview into the upcoming LGBT Saints Virtual Summit, which we don't want to miss. So here is a presentation by Richard Osler, which is followed by a, a simple interview with Richard Osler. Welcome back to another session. Today, I have the opportunity to uh, talk with Richard Osler. How are you, Richard? I'm good, Kurt. Awesome. Well, I know many individuals are, especially those familiar with podcasting, are familiar with uh, the good work you do at Listen, Learn, Love. And it's a podcast you've been doing for quite some time. How long has it been now? I think the beginning of 2018 is when we started, but it could have been 2019, but I can't remember. Yeah. And you've been, uh, you know, I'm really excited about this interview because you've been an ally from the, you know, the leadership perspective for for many, many years. And maybe just tell us what came to, you know, what was the impetus of you wanting to start a podcast and what's the purpose and and mission of that podcast? Well, and I'll share this a little bit more, but I was a a singles ward bishop, been released a few years, and I had stewardship responsibility for a couple of gay men in my ward. And it was the first time I sat across the desk and listened to a gay person really tell me about being gay. And so gradually, when that assignment ended, I felt impressed, like many others, to step in the space and try to amplify voices of LGBTQ. So to answer your question, Kurt, the podcast is to really let LGBTQ people tell their stories, because that's how my heart changed, and I developed better skills to meet their spiritual needs. Yeah. And you do such a wonderful job, uh, really going in depth of individual stories of people, not, you know, they're not, not all, they don't all identify as LGBTQ, but some are allies, some are, have a unique perspective in that realm. And, and some of them, I, it's inspired me to reach out to them for, for this summit as well. So many people will, will hear from them as well. So, so mainly just collecting those stories and, and that really creates some empathy for an understanding of what they're experiencing, right? It does. And you are doing a good job at Leading Saints doing the same thing. And I'm grateful for this conference that you've put together and your leadership team and all the participants that are willing to learn about this sensitive, tender topic. Yeah. Now, a lot of your, um, you know, your interviews and experience of, of you know, making space and, and allowing people a microphone to tell their story, it's led to you being asked to, for, to do firesides and other live events where you invite uh, not only leaders, but, uh, you know, traditional Orthodox Latter-day Saints who maybe they don't have a sibling or a, a son or daughter who is in the LGBTQ community. And so they, they want to understand, but it hasn't been quite as close or, in, you know, in their faces, some people experience. And so that's gonna, maybe going to launch us into your presentation here. And I just love, again, that you come from that leadership perspective. So you really have gained an understanding of both sides of that, of this uh, community that we're, we're trying to unite. So where where should we start, Richard? Well, I'll share with your listeners, Kurt, just the presentation. It's about 50 slides that I I give in church firesides um, and other events at BYU. I speak at BYU in a class, gender psychology. And so it's just kind of a standard presentation I give. My hope is that the presentation builds faith in our church and our leaders and helps us all know how to better meet the needs of LGBTQ members. So... um, Here is my email. I'll give that now. And at the end, you can get a copy of this presentation by emailing me. I assume Kurt will make it available through Leading Saints. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And if you wanted me to come speak at a local ward or stake fireside, you can contact me through that email. Or perhaps this presentation will give you the tools to share things within your local area of responsibility. Um, As Kurt mentioned, I'll go kind of fast on these slides in the interest of time. I'm an active 
member of the church. I support and sustain our leaders. I support and sustain our doctrine. But I believe we can do better to basically meet the needs of our LGBTQ members and also respect and honor those who step away. That kind of is a complicated subject when someone leaves our faith, but I think there's principles apply that um, are helpful to keep families together and keep the very best framework together. This isn't a subject or presentation where everybody leaves feeling the same. That's not my goal. (laughs) But my goal is to have a a framework for faithful discussions. And that's the picture of our home. I'm a married father of six. I live in Salt Lake City. I'm 59. We have three grandchildren, and I don't have any LGBTQ in our immediate family. President Ballard, and this is really the foundation of everything I'm trying to do, spoke at BYU. And this is a quote that I think is foundational for all of our stewardship responsibilities. I want anyone who's a member of the church who is gay or lesbian to know I believe you have a place in the kingdom and recognize that sometimes it may be difficult for you to see where you fit in, but you do. We need to listen to and understand what our LGBTQ brothers and sisters are feeling and experiencing. Certainly, we must do better than we have in the past so that all members feel they have a spiritual home. And so that is just what you're doing, Kurt, in your summit. And many local leaders are doing is saying, you know, President Ballard's asked us to do better. So everybody feels they had a home. Sister Fiona Givens, I love this quote in the visual imagery. Every Latter-day Saint who wishes to help another's burden must first touch that person's cross to understand the nature and depth of the pain being carried. Mm. And there's a lot of pain that LGBTQ Latter-day Saints feel. I mean, that's one of my goals is to help us understand more of their unique journey. As I mentioned before, in late 2015, I was a singles ward bishop and had responsibility for a couple gay men. It was just a couple, um, but it was the first time I really listened to an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. And I felt an impression after a period of time to wipe my hard drive clean, to use a computer term. I basically had this feeling that everything I'd learned about LGBTQ people was from straight people. And I didn't have a good way to decide what was accurate or not. Heavenly Father just kind of prodded me and he said, well, if you want to see LGBTQ children the way I see them, you ought to listen to them and LDS parents of LGBTQ children. So that's what I've been trying to do and really build my knowledge of this group of people by listening to that group of people. I love a couple of these quotes from a couple church leaders. This is from S. Michael Wilcox, an institute teacher. In some matters, it's better to be intellectually uncertain rather than superficially sure. This will leave us with a great deal to be certain about while maintaining a humility to learn. And then this quote from Elder Uchtdorf, Brothers and sisters, as good as our previous experience may be, if we stop asking questions, stop thinking, stop pondering, we can report the revelations of the Spirit. Remember, it was the questions young Joseph asked that opened the door for the restoration of all things. We can block the growth and knowledge our Heavenly Father intends for us. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know? but couldn't get past the massive iron gates of what we thought we already knew. Mm. I have massive iron gates of what I thought I knew about LGBTQ people, and I'm trying to be pretty open to setting aside prior opinions and things I've learned. Why? Because I don't want to add to the burdens of others, which kind of leads to this slide. 
I love Alma when he went and extended this baptism invitation at the waters of Mormon. And he first went with what I would call the horizontal part of our baptism covenants. He first talked about mourning and bearing and comfort. And then he went vertical, which is our relationship with Heavenly Father and commandment keeping. But I find it interesting he went this way first. And I know for me, when I'm doing a good job of this way, it helps me do a better job of this way. But they're both part of our baptism commandment covenants, as we know. And I just love that that's part of our doctrine. Some of you um, are familiar with this vocabulary. Some of you, like me, were not. Um, So this is pretty basic. I'll just go through this. Lesbian is female, a biological female with sexual orientation to the same sex. Gay is male or female with sexual orientation to the same sex. That just means orientation. It doesn't mean behavior. We shouldn't think those words and think then someone's engaged in inappropriate behavior. Bisexual is someone who's male or female with sexual orientation to both sexes. Then shifting gears to a whole different category is transgender. Transgender is where someone's gender identity doesn't match their biological sex. And so how they identify and how they feel is not the same as their biological sex. We'll talk a little bit about that. Queer is a term that used to be extremely derogatory growing up in Salt Lake City in my day, but now some are taking that as an um, on as an umbrella term that just represents they're not straight or not cisgender. Cisgender is the opposite of transgender. So vocabulary is really important, and President Nelson and President Oaks have been using these terms um, at BYU in conference addresses. This experience I'm about to share was really important to me and helped me understand perhaps a higher, holier law. I served my mission in the England-Manchester Mission in 1979, and our mission president, Ellis Ivory, um, wanted to change the culture of our mission. It was a lot us versus the Church of England, and he felt we're actually demonizing them to the point it hurt our ability to take the positive message of our restored gospel to the people of England. So he thought, how can I break the culture? Well, he did an all-mission conference in a Church of England, and he had the vicar and mission president speak. And what happened was dramatic, is none of us joined the Church of England, but we actually felt the spirit there. And we learned to have a fact-based discussion between us and the Church of England without demonizing them. And our convert baptism soared to over 300 a month, which was the top English-speaking baptizing mission in the church for a couple months in 1980 and 81. 35 years later, one of our missionaries went back to that church and they were raising money to save the Tower Bell. And he thought it would be great if the missionaries from that picture you just saw raised money. We raised about $20,000. And there's a check presentation between the new mission president and the new vicar. And we all just came together. No one sold out our doctrine. No one compromised anything. But we just came together as Christians to support each other. This is consistent with what Elder Uchtdorf taught in April of 2017. And I'll just kind of highlight the yellow slides in the interest of time. Fear rarely has the power to change our hearts, and it will never transform us into people who love what is right and want to obey. Never look down on any other religion or group of people. And I love that kind of holy or higher law that Elder Uchtdorf and leaders of our church teach. Brene Brown is a social scientist. She's not a member of our church, Um, but I'll read a quote she shared here. Common enemy intimacy is the opposite of true belonging. 
If the bond we share is simply we hate the same people, the intimacy we experience is intense, gratifying, and an easy way to discharge outrage and pain. It's not fuel, however, for real long-term connection. So if I just find community at church because we just talk bad about another religion, that kind of is good for a period of time, but kind of over a while, that kind of doesn't get us to the holy higher law, which is just positive conversations about our own faith and fact-based differences. Our political world is very polarized right now, as we know, and I won't go too much into that, but I think this is just a thoughtful quote, especially how we think about LGBTQ. In June of 2016, when I was still serving as a singles ward bishop, I saw an Instagram post that really changed the direction of my personal ministry, and I'll read it to you. This is a mother that posted on Instagram the day after her son died by suicide. I lost my son yesterday to suicide. He is a beautiful young man with so much to give. My son is gay. He was a square peg trying to fit into a round hole in as much and suffered immensely. We can do better recognizing differences and loving others. My challenge of all of you is to choose love. And I saw this Instagram post, Kirk and your listeners. And I just felt an impression from Heavenly Father to step in this space as my YSA assignment was ending, ending not as an activist, but as a disciple of Christ trying to bring more understanding and honor this good young man, Stockton in Davis County, Utah, who died um, an LDS young man by suicide. Sometimes I read scriptures and they have different meaning to us as we go through different stages of our life. And this one more most of us are familiar with, for he that diligently seeks shall find and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them. And then I realized one day, well, LGBTQ people are kind of a mystery. Um, how do they fit in the plan of salvation? Would God create someone LGBTQ? But the principles in this scripture is I need to diligently seek, and then by the power of the Holy Ghost, I can learn more, as Elder Ballards invite us to. Here's just some quick church statements that I share in firesides that I give. I didn't quite know all these when I was learning about this space, and I'll just read these three. I'll just highlight the middle. The church does not teach in yellow that being lesbian or gay is a choice or an exercise of agency. The second bullet point, the church does not teach that someone who has same-sex attraction can change or eliminate that attraction. And that quote goes on, the church has stated a change in attraction should not be expected or demanded as an outcome by parents or leaders. That is very different than what I knew growing up, and I'll talk more about. And President Oaks has also talked about we do not recommend heterosexual marriage as a solution for same-gender feelings. Now, I've learned that those type of marriages do can and do work, and I'll talk more about that. But the church just doesn't recommend that as a universal path that everybody should choose that experiences same-sex attraction or is gay. Pray the gay away is this idea that it puts the responsibility back on the LGBTQ person to be straight. And I've sat with hundreds of LGBTQ people at this point in my life. And these deals go like this, take my arms, take my hands, my eyes, just make me straight. Endless deals with God, sort of hyper religiosity, extra scripture staying, more extra perfect obedience as a missionary. And I've learned, and the people I've met with, I've never really met anybody that's felt like their sexual orientation has changed. 
And I don't like to put bounds on the atonement of Jesus Christ, but maybe it's like being left-handed or blue-eyed. The atonement just doesn't change these attributes that we each have, but it's part of the beautiful and needed diversity of God's plan. But the atonement can heal and help everybody be at peace. Can a person be openly lesbian or gay and be an active member of the church? And the answer is yes. And in yellow, these are church statements identifying as gay, lesbian, or bisexual, or experiencing same-sex attraction is not a sin and does not prohibit someone from participating in the church, holding callings, or attending the temple. There are active temple recommending holding members of the church who comply with the law of chastity and identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. Ben Shalati, who is an active LDS a member, he's gay. He is currently has a job at BYU, and I read a blog post from him that really helped me. He says, I wish I could label myself as I please. The times when I didn't identify as gay were the hardest, darkest times in my life. Choosing to identify as, as gay has been wonderful and freeing. My belief and commitment to the restored gospel have not changed since I started labeling myself as gay. I live church standards as much as always, but what has changed? I don't hate myself anymore. Fascinating when I read that for the first time and just, you know, we let the church is asked to take on the name of Latter-day Saints. And I just think we extend that to each LGBTQ person to choose whatever label or no label. It's really not my job as a straight person to dictate that. Here's a couple quotes from, um, this is from an LDS mother of a transgender child. And this is a tender quote that you may or may not agree with, but it's her feelings. I don't believe Satan's work is to deceive people into being LGBTQ. Instead, Satan takes these precious children of God and tells them they are worthless. He tells them there is no place for them in God's plan. He tells them God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. Satan also resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His goal is to tear families apart and drive people away. He is succeeding not because this group has been deceived and are now gay trans. He is succeeding because keeping us from coming together as the body of Christ with loving, with pure Christ-like love. We can do better to heal these members who are hurting and feel they have no place. Each member is vital. Without them, we cannot function as the church to its fullest potential. I love that quote. This is another one from an early morning seminary teacher of a mother that has a gay son. And she's talking in this quote to other early morning seminary teachers, but it applies to all of us. Teachers, please be aware you likely have an LGBTQ student or two in every class. Please let them know that being gay is not a sin and it's not a choice. Please be aware our LGBTQ youth and their families often feel alone. Let them know you love them and listen to their experiences. Ask how they can help. We now have openly gay missionaries serving, and they are some of our finest young adults. Now, openly gay just refers to orientation. Um, if you're from my generation, openly gay, we think of sexual behavior. And I've had to reprogram myself not to think that when I think of here openly gay. Anyway, we can do better at, at supporting and loving them and recognizing their talents and gifts. And I won't read that whole quote there. You can kind of skim it. One of the things that really shifted for me, Kurt, as you know, and has shifted for you with the work you're doing at North Star and on your platform, 
is I used to see LGBTQ people as a different community on a different road and somehow posed a universal threat to me, my family, and our church. And I get teary-eyed when I think about this. But now I just see them as our people. Four to six percent of Americans identify as LGBTQ. If we assumed the entire church population mirrored that, that would mean with 16 million Mormons or Latter-day Saints, we have 780,000 of our own people that identify as LGBTQ. I don't believe Heavenly Father is up there in heaven going, oh no, what what happened? Some of my children are LGBTQ. I think everybody's created as how they're intended to be. That doesn't mean anybody's perfect. That doesn't take out commandment keeping for anybody, but it just puts everybody on the same moral footing that we're all created the way God wants us to be, and we all should feel God's love in our life. But these are members of our own congregations and our own families. No one should feel shame for how they're created. And parents should feel they've done something wrong if they have an LGBTQ child. Sometimes I visualize these 780,000 people. And if you put them to, into L. Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and we're in the middle of coronavirus, so I don't know how this looks anymore, <laughs> but that would fill Lavelle Edwards Stadium 12 times with our own people that identify as LGBTQ. That's two seasons of home football games. And these are our own people. Sure, there's some LGBTQ people that want our church to fail. And there's some straight people that want our church to fail. But to just pin that on LGBTQ, I don't think is fair. Sometimes I go to Twitter to help me understand. I have maybe a thousand LGBTQ Latter-day Saints there. And I ask them questions so I can learn. And this is a question that I asked a couple years ago. If, you're, if you are LGBTQ, what are your hopes for the resurrection to change or not change your sexual orientation or gender identity in the next life? And Vance Bryce, who's an active Latter-day Saint and gay, answered back, and he said, if a person teaches your wrong orientation will change to your correct orientation when you die, you should expect they want to die, even if someone has out, ruled out suicide. Um, living is wrong, hard when you exist wrongly. My point here is we need to be sensitive. Some LGBTQ people may feel their final ace in the hole to be straight is suicide. And the church has taught the resurrection, everybody's straight in the next life. They haven't taught much about that for a period of years. I'm not saying that's not our doctrine, but I'm, this is just sensitivity training because we don't want anybody to sort of, you know, to choose suicide to be straight. Some LGBTQ people I met with really believe they'll be straight in the next life. Some don't look at this as a weakness. They don't want this part of them to be carved out because all their gifts and contributions and Christ-like attributes are tied in with their sexual orientation, and they don't want that to go away. Sometimes we talk about life in the church is the same for a single straight woman as a single gay man. And I said that, but then Ben Shalati helped me understand there's a difference there. And this is a picture of Ben Shalati. He's single and gay, and his sister, who's single and straight. And I'll just read this. My sister is 36. Her name is Lindsay and is single. And we've talked about this a bunch. She gets to date, flirt, and pray every night that she'll find a man to take her to the temple. My biggest fear is I'll fall in love with a man. And then he goes on to say, many of his single, single women in our church are not doing well. I have older single friends, and I've sat with them and cried with them. But the points Ben's trying to make is that Ben's on lockdown mode. 
his hopes don't align with the sexual orientation. So he's kind of in defensive mode. He can't pray. He can't point to the next life. And so I just think of the emotional capital Ben is spending to stay in our church and stay within our doctrine and being gay. It just builds empathy for the difficult road he walks. When I was at BYU, I was planning my whole life around finding my wife and having a child, children, and and that provided a lot of motivation for me to do the very best I could in my academic and my career. And I just realized that for a lot of our members is taken off the table and we just develop empathy for the unique road they walk. This is a picture that may be triggering for some um, Latter-day Saints. It's Christ in these rainbow colors. And it's painted by Kirk Richards, an active Latter-day Saint artist. And it was given by an LDS mother to her gay son. And the name of the painting is Jesus Said Love Everybody. And uh, Sister Alyssa Edwards is a seminary teacher in Utah County. She's been on my podcast, and she has this painting hanging up in her seminary office. And asked her why. And she says, it signals to my students that I'm a safe person to talk to. And that's not only her LGBTQ students, but her straight students. One of the things that happened to me the last year being a YSA bishop on social media, I started to say kind things about LGBTQ people. And it was fascinating for me what happened. I didn't plan this. No more LGBTQ people came out. But the straight kids opened up about stuff they've never talked to anybody about. And they sort of saw, well, if the bishop can love gay people, he can love me. And I can talk to the bishop about what's going on in my life. And so this painting can signal that you're a safe person and that you as a parent or a local leader, because what more do we want as parents or leaders to have people in our stewardship responsibility feel safe opening up? And if we can learn to say kind things like Christ did about marginalized groups, then it creates a feeling about who we are. And the last line here is something I believe, that it's a false dichotomy that to fully love and follow God, we need to stop loving some of his children. This is to talk about gender dysphoria. And I use this example. Catherine Schweitzer, in 1967, in this picture, decided to run the Boston Marathon. And the assumption in that day is women were too fell to run marathons. And you can see there the race officials are trying to rip off her number. And 50 years later, in 27, Catherine Schweitzer, with the same number, is running the Boston Marathon. And we wouldn't think twice about a woman running a marathon today. Some of you out there may have run marathons. And what's happened here is God in 1967 knew women could run marathons. But our understanding and our understanding of science wasn't there. And so I share that as an idea for trans people that this is something that's brand new today. And I just encourage us to be humble and not generate opinions about transgender people until we meet transgender people. And we've done podcasts with transgender people. Gender dysphoria is the core of, of the transgender experience. And this is and it, this are words from Nika Allgood, who is a Latter-day Saint and has a transgender son. In the second bullet point, I'll read some of this. Have you ever gotten car sick? Car sick, like many other forms of motion of sickness, occurs when your inner ears and your eyes disagree about whether you're moving. Gender dysphoria is like that. Awful, nauseating, 
headache-inducing wrongness from the disagreement of your mind and body, and you feel it every time you wear the wrong clothes or are called by the wrong pronoun or hear your own voice or someone looks at you and sees something you aren't, every time you look in the mirror, every time you think about yourself, it's like a knife in the gut because it's wrong, wrong, wrong. It's not you because it won't go away and it won't stop and it hurts. It hurts like nothing you can imagine and nothing I described. It's so bad you literally die then feel like that again. And so that's what a, someone experiences the pain of gender dysphoria. Imagine if we all can relate to car sickness, but imagine if you had never driven in a car and f- felt car sick, how you'd explain that to somebody. That's kind of what people with gender dysphoria feel. And in that case, you, for gender dysphoria, you can't get out of the car. And so people transition to try to manage the pain. And the church has a landing page that talks about what levels of transition are appropriate and not appropriate. But it's mostly not out of rebellion. It's just to deal with the pain. And that's all I'll spend on that, that complicated, tender subject. Um, I love this talk from Elder Holland in April of 27. And he talks about God's choir. There's room for the single, the married, large families, they're childless. There's room for those who once had questions about their faith and room for those that still do. There's room for those with different sexual attractions. And I love that idea that the choir is not just one, it's harmony because of all those different parts of the choir. And this leads into what Paul taught in Corinthians 12. This is the body of Christ. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, or to the feet, I have no need of you. We can't, in 23, we can't look at one part of the body and say one is less honorable than the other. And so I think we need our LGBTQ Latter-day Saints to help us become the body of Christ. I have become a better disciple of Christ because of LGBTQ people in my life. They have taught me things about the doctrine of Christ that I haven't learned any other way. I used to look at my role as the Good Samaritan to kind of rescue LGBTQ people. And in some ways that's true, but in some ways, as I just suggested, they've taught me more about the doctrine of Christ and about how to reach out to marginalized people and help them feel included. The Pool of Bethesda is a really important story in this painting by Karl Bloch. If you look at the Savior's hand, it's drawing me to the person around the most marginalized that's even feeling marginalized, and he's covered himself up. And I look at that person in my life, and who is that person that feels on the margins, and what can I do to bring them in? And just those scriptures there, that inasmuch you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And often that's our LGBTQ members, and they feel marginalized. And most of the things they've heard at church, me included, are unkind things about people like them. And it's hard for them sometimes to feel like they're welcome. And that's why I'm glad we're moving forward with the work Kirk is doing and the, the fact that you're listening and want to do a better job. I look at the church's relationship with its LGBTQ members as like a 40-chapter book, and we're not in chapter 40. I don't know what chapter we're in, and I don't imply future chapters have changed to policy or doctrine, but I look at President Ballard's statement, and it just infers we have more work to do. And sometimes I look at what chapter 40 looks like, and to me, it's where the, the congregation is the balm of Gilead for all members. Another example is when an LDS mother learns she has a gay son or a lesbian daughter, 
that she has the same level of hope in this life and the next life as her straight child. And right now, because we're not at chapter 40, most LDS mothers would be full of fear. And I just think we have a responsibility to get to a point where that fear is gone. I'm not, this last bullet point, as I mentioned, I'm not an activist. I don't know Heavenly Father's will. And I leave that to our leaders who I sustain and support to let us understand what future chapters look like. This is an example of an earlier chapter that Ben Shalati mentioned. And I think it's okay to be aware of earlier chapters so we don't make the same mistakes. I'm in yellow. However, there was that active woman who emphatically accused me of being addicted to porn because that's the only way I would develop such same, such deviant thoughts of same-sex attraction. There was that bishop's wife who compared me to a pedophile multiple times. I hope you cringe when you read those. Those are just some of the things we've assumed. Pornography, to me, is an, a window generally into someone's sexual orientation. It doesn't change someone's sexual orientation. If someone has same-sex attraction or is gay, the research I've looked at doesn't make them more likely to be a pedophile. And so we, can't, we need to move on from some of that earlier dialogue because we don't want to add to the burdens. Sometimes I see a new chapter. This is from June of 28 when the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square sang with the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. There's Elder Hallstrom from the 70 shaking hands with the choir director. We didn't sell out our doctrine. We didn't compromise anything. We just came together as the same human family. Fitting in versus belonging. This slide is really important. It goes back to that slide of the young man who died by suicide. Fitting in is assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. Many LGBTQ members exhaust themselves trying to fit in. Belonging allows our LGBTQ members to be who they are and accepted for who they are. Coming out usually isn't about a leaving, leaving the church. It's about being authentic and helping to belong in our ward and families. But not everyone needs to come out. But if you look at that square peg and you look at the corners of that square peg, you might see where it's fraying. And that's what happens to LGBTQ members. They can't do anything to make themselves a round peg that represents straight members. So it's on us in a way to create more square holes so they feel like they belong and they're needed. And that's why it's good you're here and we're talking about this. Elder Uchtdorf in 2013 in yellow said, sometimes we confuse differences in personality with sin. We can even make the mistake that because someone is different from us, it must mean they are not pleasing to God. I started a, an organization called listenlearnandlove.org just to be a resource center. We don't have events. We just have content to help people that want to go to a safe place that's supportive of the church and also supportive of LGBTQ. You can't donate. It's just a labor of love. Uh, but I just wanted to point out a few sections on the website that might be helpful. This is a section that has articles under the resources tab. And number one is statements from church leaders. And you can click to view the PDF. And it's just, it's just everything that we've gathered over that the church has said. Church leaders. So if you want to do something on a local level and you're going to talk about this subject, my advice is to talk using church leader quotes because then you'll feel safe for all the members in your congregation. And you won't feel like you're getting ahead of the brethren or crossing a line because it's just a sensitive subject. 
Here's a quote from that article on the earlier slide. And it's a question that Elder Christofferson received in the top about, basically, can you keep your temple recommend if you support same-sex marriage or even say nice things about same-sex marriage on Facebook or belong to gay-friendly organizations? And his point and the principle he teaches in this bottom yellow, it really doesn't become a problem unless someone is out attacking the church and its leaders if it's a deliberate and persistent effort to get others to follow them to draw others away out of the church or away from its teachings. Really important principle. I think it's okay to hold beliefs as long as you're not trying to pull people to your way of thinking. And as long as you support and sustain the church and aren't advocating for changes. But that's still kind of a complicated subject. But that's the kind of thing I think it's great to talk about in a congregation. Back to the website. A key part of the website is podcasts. And under main categories, there's a whole list of podcasts there. Gay, bisexual, transgender, mixed orientation marriages, parents of LGBTQ children. I've highlighted one because there's so many podcasts. It's overwhelming. And it's just called Top Introduction Podcasts for Local Leaders, Parents. There's only about four there. That would be a good place to start if you want to step in this space. But that's a range of podcasts. We also do other podcasts under this more tab. Just we're talking about all the complicated, sensitive issues. And you can see a list of people that have come on. Solving addictions is a really sensitive one right now. Depression, mental illness. So just a range of podcasts there. But go slow. If you don't think they're helpful, no pressure to listen. There's, you know, it's just a complicated space sometimes to talk about these tender subjects. I have a new book coming out in September, roughly the time you're listening to this presentation, The Ford by Steve Young, our NFL quarterback and active Latter-day Saint, and it's called Surprise, Surprise, Listen, Learn, and Love, but the subtitle is Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. All the proceeds are going to this young man who died by suicide. It's a compilation of hundreds of stories from LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and parents And they address just all the complicated issues around this subject. So it's meant not to be just one story, but hundreds of stories. It's supportive of the church, and I hope it's helpful. You'll be able to find it on Amazon at Cedar Fort is the publisher, and hopefully in other places as it comes out. This is a quote from Dr. Brene Brown about suicide. It's broader than LGBTQ, but it's this feeling of not belonging. Not belonging is the most terrifying and destructive feeling a person can experience. It's not the same as being alone. It's a feeling one is locked out of the possibility of human connection and powerless to change it. In the extreme, it can lead to a sense of hopelessness and despair. People who do almost anything to escape the combination of condemned isolation and powerlessness. So what do we do? We do what Sister Gibbons said at the beginning. We embrace, we value, empathize. We acknowledge how difficult the road is. And as I've sat with many LGBTQ people, they do feel they're in this double bind where they love the church. And for those that don't feel a mixed orientation marriage is possible and they want to stay celibate, it's hard to look at six decades ahead of you if you're 20 of being alone. And that is a difficult road. And what do we do? I think we acknowledge that's a difficult road. And sometimes we, what I do is I invite everybody to stay in our church. But if someone self-determines their path is different, 
I honor that. They've got to get personal revelation. It's a tender topic, but that's kind of the way I navigate that complicated road. This is what my father did. He's 89 now, but in 1970, he was a state prison in Salt Lake City, and that's kind of a car from the 70s. And his oldest son, my oldest brother, was not going on a mission at the same time my dad was processing mission papers for all his friends. And in fact, my son ended up leaving the church and joining another church in his late teens. And on Sunday, one day after all of dad's meetings, he came home and he loaded all of us into a station wagon. And we went to downtown Salt Lake City and we watched my older brother get baptized into another Christian church. And it was the finest teaching moment my parents ever shared with us because they taught me that nothing I could do to take me outside of the circle the family's love and that we would be with my older brother and we would walk with him on the road that he felt was best for him. None of us joined that small Christian church. My brother's never come back to the church. He's in his 60s. My dad's 89. They have a great relationship. And they just taught me this foundational principles that our job is to keep the family circled together. And that's what Tom Christofferson teaches. And he may be one of the guests on Kurt's episodes here, this book, which I encourage everybody to read, because it's really a story of how Tom parents kept Tom and his same-sex partner um, within the family circle for the couple of decades Tom was in a same-sex relationship and not fully participating in the church. Eric Huntsman, who's a professor at BYU, spoke in a BYU devotional, and he quoted Tom Christofferson's book. And a couple of quotes are in yellow. The only thing we can be perfect at is loving each other. The most important lesson, and these are Tom Christofferson's parents speaking to Tom's brothers. The most important lesson your children will learn from our family is how our family treats Uncle Tom. I'm paraphrasing is nothing they can do will ever take them outside of the circle of our family's love. Sorry, I kind of botched that <laughs> that statement, but it's correctly worded on the screen. This is about condoning. Accepting others does not mean we condone, agree with, or conform to their beliefs or choices. Simply, we allow the realities of their life to be different than our own. This can be complicated, like would we go to a same-sex wedding? One of the mothers in the book talks about we would go to the baptism of our Catholic friends baptizing their infant child. That's doctrine that's outside of our church. It's clearly outside, as talked about in the Book of Mormon. So I think everybody's just kind of got to navigate that. But condoning may just mean we support people's individual choices. We don't necessarily invite them to go down that road. But if they feel it's the right path for them, perhaps it's okay to support them in their individual choices. Coming to the end of the slide, I want to go back to the book a little bit. One of the sections of the book is ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. There's some really tender stories. One of the tender stories is a president, Emerson Frisch, in the Long Beach East stake, had a gay member speak in the Saturday night session. And that gay member, physician, came out to the whole stake. It's one of our podcasts. And that gay member was trembling on the stand before he was about to give that talk. And the stake president wasn't sitting next to him, but he changed seats with his counselor so he could sit by him because he knew how nervous he was. And then as he gave a great talk that brought tears to everybody's eyes, the stake president stood up to be the last speaker and he passed each other on the, on the 
whatever it's called, the front of the church. I haven't been in church for so long, I forgot what it's called. Um, it's not the podium. It's not the stage. Anyway, and you know what the stake president did in front of the whole stake? He gave that guy a bear hug. And I thought if I were sitting in that stake and needed to talk to that stake president about anything, I would know he would be safe to talk to. And isn't that what we want? And I just love the principle of ministering. Another man in his 60s came out gay to his bishop. He's married to a woman, staying in the church. He just felt impressed to tell that to his bishop. He's teaching the deacon's corn. The bishop told him that he had an, before he came out gay, the bishop told him that he had an impression he was gay. And then in one of the sarpish rebukes of the spirit, the bishop felt, I need to release him from being the deacon's corn instructor. And in that rebuke from the spirit, he said, I don't, don't release him from being the deacon's corn instructor. And I think our natural reaction is we should separate gay members from younger people or from whatever. But this man's been living the covenant path and committed to the church and his marriage. And he's perfectly worthy to teach the deacons quorum. He probably won't talk about being gay to the deacons. But I love that bishop acting, putting aside his prior conclusions or assumptions or his initial reaction and being sensitive to the spirit. Because how would it have added to the burden of this ward member that came out in a tr to his trusted leader and then two weeks later was released from being the deacon's quorum. That doesn't create a feeling of belonging. So the book is just full of those kind of stories that help us do better as we hear these experiences. Okay, sad heaven is this idea that we mourn now a future outcome. I'm a Dodgers fan. It's like me mourning right now they lose again in the World Series and feeding all that emotional pain now. Sad heaven is we mourn now family members not at the seat, and we call that empty chairs. And my suggestion is let's don't do that. Let's don't feel that emotional pain. Let's have trust in our Heavenly Father and our Savior and this beautiful plan of salvation and leave it at the Savior's feet. And we don't know who's going to be at the table. And let's don't conclude now um, empty chairs, because I think it just adds to our burden and keeps us perhaps feeling bad as parents if we have adult children that have stepped away. This is my conclusion slide. I love the example of my mission president, Ellis Ivory. He was in his 30s in 1980 when he was my mission president, so he's still alive. Some of you may know him. Um, he's a great example to me. See LGBTQ people as our people, not as this outside group that poses a universal threat. See their good and accomplishment. Perfect love casteth out fear. I have no fear of LGBTQ people. I'm so glad about that. I have faith in and support our leaders. As Kurt mentioned, I'm glad to speak in ward and state firesides. And even if it's outside of Utah, I travel there at my own expense. It's just part of my personal ministry. I serve as a secretary in our elders corn presidency in my LDS tools calling, so to speak. If you'd like a PDF or if you have suggestions, I'm open to criticism. I'm open to suggestions. It's the kind of, I don't want to do this in a vacuum. I want your impressions of things you're hearing that couldn't be improved. And you can email me there. And thank you for being a part of this presentation. And Kurt Frankham and all the work he's doing at you're at Leading Saints. And I'll turn it back to you, Kurt. Awesome. Richard, this is so good. And, and you have such good quotes and perspectives and stories. And it was fun to just sit back and and listen, I do have a list of maybe some follow-up thoughts. Uh, I'd like to fire some questions at you here. 
you know, I, I just love the, so I just love the, the analogy with the, you know, with going back to your mission with going into that, the church of England. And, and again, because I think a lot of the hesitancy that leaders feel or Orthodox members feel is that if I show any connection, I'm sort of passively aggressively condoning this behavior or this belief or whatever. And not only does that, you know, that example get past that, but you can see the, how much abundance comes from some of these relationships they're able to establish. And then another example with the Mormon temple or the choir at Temple Square, you know, as they connected with that uh, gay choir, you know, these are just these simple things that we can do to outreach. And nobody is assuming that we've changed our belief or anything like that. And and just really powerful. The other thing I think I wanted to underscore is this concept of labeling. And I feel like a lot of leaders sort of worry about labeling that the minute somebody labels themselves as gay or lesbian or whatever it is, that it's sort of a next step in getting closer to certain behaviors that's outside God's commandments. When in reality, they're trying to find peace and reconciliation with who they are and how God created them this way and why. And and they may not have all those answers, but it sort of is this ability to identify in the same context of being a child of God. And it really does help them, right? I agree with that, Kurt. Very good. And I think shame is Satan's one of Satan's mm-hmm. greatest tools. So if how you feel and how you want to label yourself, we don't give people permission to, then I think it just makes them feel bad about who they are. And then it, if we don't love people, then people think God won't love me. So I think it's a really important principle that we as leaders and parents, if we can love people with the label they take, then I think, okay, God loves me too. And then I think they're more likely to have a personal relationship with God, which is so fundamental to our doctrine. Yeah. And, and I think that's so, so crucial, especially in the leadership chair, because a lot of people, they see le- the leader and they, they automatically think of the superior leader, you know, our father in heaven, the savior. And so they think, and he's having a hard time or she's having a hard time really connecting with me. And whether they, it's subconscious or not, they sort of make the connection like, well, maybe God is the same way. Right. And it's hurtful. Agreed. And I- I just want to go back. I, when I mentioned pornography listeners, I hope I mentioned I invite everybody not to have a pornography problem. I just <laughs> want to be clear on that. And just in case anybody's not wondering if I wasn't clear on that. Yeah, no, we, we, anyway, we, we know your heart's are the right place, Richard. This is good. But, <laughs> okay. but going, I think the greater, like the opportunity for the leader is, and I love to have that painting, you know, in the seminary teacher's office, like it signals a safe, a signals a safe place. And I love that concept in general because it, it reaches outside of this of this topic of LGBTQ where if an individual who maybe is struggling with pornography or an individual who is beginning to question their, their faith, right? If they then see their bishop or Relief Society president openly reach out and actively become an ally of the LGBTQ community, they think, wow, you know, I'm not necessarily in that community, but this person seems like the type of person that I could be safe with and sharing some very difficult things I'm going through, right? And that's just so powerful. And, uh, oh, the, uh, you know, as far as this concept, and I've thought about it a lot in the context of when individuals question their faith or begin to question their faith, where we often look at those scenarios, like someone who's questioning, we think, well, this is, this is for your good. Like, we, you know, we encourage you and, and you'll learn a lot from this. Or we see the LGBTQ community and we say, oh, well, 
yeah, this is really hard and wow, I don't understand why this happened, but you know, there's great sanctification in this, which there is, that would all be accurate. But I sometimes wonder how much some of these scenarios of other people are there for to come back on us as leaders or as Orthodox members to really learn more about ourselves by having to reconcile individuals in our life who experience these things. Right. Any, any further thoughts that's on that? True. That's true for me. I, I have grown in ways I didn't, I think God wanted me to grow by having LGBTQ people in my life. And I sort of thought I would go be the rescuer, but, and some of that's occurring and you're doing the same thing, but I feel like I'm being rescued by LGBTQ yeah, right? people and I'm drawn to the doctrine of Christ and his examples in the New Testament, because he was always with marginalized people, and he always was inviting people to his table that society said shouldn't be at his table. Yeah, People that society said were unworthy, he was challenging that. So I look at those timeless parables and how they apply. So if there's a doctrinal foundation to reaching out to marginalized groups, it's Christ's ministry, and we should feel permission to do that from those stories. Yeah. And I love that, you know, the term that as far as the balm of Gilead, like we sometimes rush to their heart to rescue their heart, but all we find is this balm that's actually going to heal our own heart. And so why would we miss these opportunities of jumping in and, and seeing how we can, how we can help them? Because through that service, it's going to sanctify us so much. It's just such a wonderful opportunity. And also I thought about the context of this, action of turning our hearts towards a certain community. Like we, we often think about, you know, the Malachi scripture between the hearts of the father to the children and the children to the fathers. Like often we think of that in the context of like family history, right? And, and those things, which is appropriate, but it's just this action of turning our hearts to certain communities that has such a sanctifying nature about it. So even if you don't know what you're doing, or if you're going to, you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing, like just engaging in, in that action that feels so risky at times like there's so there's such a deeper level of redemption for our own heart as we reach out to other people's hearts. I love that, Kurt. I've never thought about that. I wrote that down and may use that going forward because I just look, sometimes we say, which I agree with, society's going downhill in these are the last days. And then things that are new to us, I've learned to try to lean into that a little bit before I just dismiss it. Yeah. That's a part of society going downhill. And because that's a, I agree with that, but I've learned in my own personal journey, I've got to, and that's why I like your scripture, turn the heart. So I don't believe the existence of LGBTQ people is a sign of the last days, per se. Perhaps a sign of the last days is my inability to meet their needs or to just talk about them all as bad people, because they're our own people. So that's, I think we're just maturing, just like we're maturing as a church on our with different people of different races. It's part of maturing and helping us become the body of Christ, preparing us for the second coming of Christ. Yeah. Another part that I really appreciated how you said that you're, that you're not an activist. And I think sometimes we interchange these words as far as ally and activist. And so maybe help us understand, like, how do you see the difference between an activist and an ally? Great question. And I'm, this is just my definition. Activists, is a label I don't feel comfortable with because I look at an activist as somebody who wants, is campaigning for like changes in doctrine or critical of leaders. I'm an out, and I'm not. I'm supportive of leaders and not asking for doctrine to change. An ally is somebody that is trying to amplify other voices and really step out of the way. So I like to amplify other voices. My life is fine. 
you know, so even though sometimes I get kind messages towards me, all that energy should be directed at LGBTQ people because they're walking the higher road, harder road. And my job as an ally is to amplify their voices so that we can bring them healing and hope and, and a feeling of belonging. Yeah, uh, that's powerful. I love that. And and so really don't hesitate to say that you're an ally. You know, that doesn't mean that you're, you know, marching in parades or any of this, but nonetheless, that creates a safer place. And it's it's a label that you can use to create safety. And I did put ally on my social media, you know, while I was a YSA bishop on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and the pride flag. And that, you know, I haven't, that's been up there for four years now. And it was just part of my commitment to be in the space and felt like that was appropriate. But I'm sure some people at the time could have raised their eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. But and again, it's all in your quest of signaling a safe place, right? And, and that's where I talked about this in other episodes or context of different subjects, but like there's something powerful about the bishop's office at times that or about the leadership interaction where a lot of times that is like the the first step of people beginning to actually verbalize some of these things and that they know that's a safe place, then they know they have an they can discover they have an ally who can then help them, you know, reconcile some of these feelings or uh, this identity in, in other realms or arenas as well, right? I agree with that, Kurt. And I think those are, if you're privileged enough to have someone come out to you, that is one of the greatest honors you can have as a parent or as a local leader. And it may not be the bishop, it may be the young woman's leader or the Relief yeah. Society leader because they just feel safe. And when those happen, I think you just ask open ended questions and keep them talking. Ask them about their experience, how they feel this way. Just, you know, and I want to make a comment about the pride flag. In the book, I talk about the pride colors and the pride flag. And I'm 59. And when I see the pride flag, I think my visual imagery goes to big metro cities and parades that have inappropriate content. And it's a very triggering thing for me. But I have learned the pride flag for many people isn't meant to represent that. It's it's representing, I don't have enmity towards this group of people. And I'm a safe person. So if you have someone in your congregation, an LDS parent that has an LGBTQ child that flies the pride flag, they deserve an increased measure of love from you because they're showing love for their child. And if they feel the Ward family pulling away from them or judging them or feeling they're crossing a line, that may separate them from the Ward family. They need an outpouring of support from the Ward family. Even if their child leaves the church and goes into a same-sex marriage, they may leave the church too if we don't respond with love and support. I've heard many stories of stake presidents telling their ward members, their stake members that have kids going to a same-sex marriage to treat that marriage just like a straight marriage. Love them, support them, invite the ward. And, and it doesn't mean, you know, we're we support same-sex marriage and are inviting other people. We're just honoring that family. We're trying to support that family. So that's just a point about not losing a whole family. We lose whole families in the church if we withdraw our support as they're doing their best, or even if they feel we're second-guessing them and kind of looking over their shoulder and saying, they're not doing the right thing, the way they're supporting or parenting their LGBTQ child. It's really complicated. Yeah. And they just need our love and support or we may lose the whole family. Yeah. And I appreciate you sort of pinpointing one sort of symbol 
because this goes back to your point about the hard drive reset, right? Like really sit with yourself when you see some of these images or actions or whatever, like really, you know, sit with that and ask yourself, you know, why, why do I respond negatively to that symbol or this? And maybe there's a valid reason and, and you can connect the dots and maybe that's a, a thing, right? But a lot of times you'll find like, oh, actually, you know, maybe there's a deeper meaning here. And I don't, because sometimes maybe we'll see that flag and we'll, we sort of respond like they're like putting it in our face and, and pushing it on us. And, and in reality, they're maybe just, you know, communicating something that's important to them and their life and their identity and all those things. And so just really sitting with like, that's the, I wish the hard drive reset could be fast as an actual hard drive reset where, you know, it's in a few <laughs> seconds you can do it, but it really is a process, right? It is. That's awesome. And another thing I want to underscore, and I, I just love these little leadership tactics where you talk about how you use in your, your presentation was a great model. Of this, there are so many general authority quotes. I mean, there's whole websites that you can go to and cause a lot of leaders, they, they may think, you know what? I, I, I get what they're saying. But I don't want, I don't want to be the guy talking to the, to my ward about this. And I don't want to know what I say. I mean, and what if people think that I'm sort of <laughs> gone crazy and now I'm condoning all these, all these things. Right. But there are so many quotes and resources that you can just put on some slides and go through them. Right. And then you're creating, again, you're signaling a safe place. So I love that, that simple tactic. Exactly. Oh, and then, and then lastly, the, it's easy, especially in a leadership role, to sort of see our job is to to keep people in, right? And we've got to like, you know, put out all the brakes and do everything possible to, to stop the momentum that you're going in. But I often remind myself like, oh yeah, I am not the savior, right? Like, of course, I'm going to encourage and maybe I'll, you know, if they ask me if there's a way that I can make the savior's job easier, you know, I sort of represent the savior in that moment. But at the end of the day, I'm not the savior. That's his job. He actually has done that job. And no matter where they go in this life, he will continually be reaching out to them in some form or another. And so I'm to the place where, and I think I saw such beauty in this when I served as a bishop, when people, I could see that people had made the decision that they're going to step away from the church. And I would always tell them, you know, I have, I have no problem. In fact, I, I would encourage you to some extent to do that as long as you feel like that's the path that you're on, because I know that the Savior will always be by your side. So if we can create an environment where you can feel welcome and hopefully you'll still come to our activities or this or that, you know, we hope you feel comfortable here. But if this is what you feel like you need to do, we're here praying for you and let us know how we can help, right? Like, but there's this, that's a tough step to just, just to surrender to the Savior, the, our, the people that we lead at times. It is. I'm with you on that, Kurt, and I'm glad you brought that up. It is a tough step, but it's a relieving step. And I, that's a YSA bishop. Some of the YSAs I will, was meeting with had no, we're not attending church. And I just, and they sort of set the agenda on what they wanted to work on. Some were overcoming drug addiction, needed help with financial planning, complicated family situations. And I didn't make my role in their life condition on church attending I felt I wanted to be a safe person in their lives to help them. Now, some gradually then would open up about their spiritual journey, and some then returned to full activity. But I kind of let them set the agenda, and at the same time, some stepped away. And I just, in the July Ensign, there's an article about a mother who has adult children that stepped away. And I'll just read this quote. Instead of simply changing my children's heart, he showed me that I needed to start changing my own heart. Mm. While parents play an important role in teaching their children, he reminded me that my role isn't to judge or save them. 
but to love them. Jesus Christ is the Savior and Judge. So your point, it's relieving in a way. We invite, we teach, but we just turn it over to our Savior. And if we have people in our lives that have stepped away from the church, I've learned if we're kind to them and honor them in their journey, they're kinder back towards us and the church. And they don't, we do have a lot of angry former Latter-day Saints. And sometimes I recognize some of that anger may be how we treat them as they leave. Yeah, right. (laughs) Maybe we can... I don't want anybody to leave, but I agree with what you're saying that we're all the same family and we leave it at our savior's feet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, again, you know, I would never bring up or suggest the idea like, Hey, have you thought about leaving the church? Maybe try that on for six months. Right. But again, if they come to that conclusion, it's important for us to, to be there because when you try and hold somebody in, we run the risk that goes to another of your points. We run the risk of destroying or harming the relationship, which is, destroying or harming the connection. And I love that Brene Brown quote in regards to suicide that, you know, suicide is so tragic. And when it happens, we often just can't help but ask why, why, why? And putting that, I've rarely thought in in the perspective of connection where those, these individuals get to a point where they, they can't figure out where the connection's at. And so they feel hopeless and unfortunately make, you know, suicide is something that happens, right? So that connection, like when all else fails, always remember the connection because that is what we thrive on as human beings and what can really save lives, really. Yeah, and I, back to your earlier point, I've always felt, we talk about the gate in the church. Mm-hmm. I've always felt the path is pretty wide at the congregation level. There shouldn't be a belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome in a Latter-day Saint congregation. Yeah, if you're yelling at the guy speaking, that's probably not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> right. The narrowing of the gate where there's really a belief in behavioral is a temple. There are temple recommend questions that have belief in behavior. So I think we can create this feeling in our congregations where everybody's welcome. We're not judging anybody. And that's not our role. The bishop's role is to do that. But our job is to help everybody feel like they belong. When a gay person walks in, try not to think about their sexual behavior. You don't do that when a straight person walks in. So let's don't go down the judgment road particularly more so with a certain group of people. Let's just see them as fellow human beings and leave any judging to people who have responsibility. Yeah, this is uh, this has been so helpful, Richard, and, and such a great perspective. And, and I hope people see, like, they may listen to someone like you and think, wow, he just gets it. I'm just not there yet. But this, for both of us, this has been a journey sure. for us that it's not like we woke up one day and you throw these slides together and had all the answers, right? So, you know, we want to show so much empathy to those leaders or individuals who are just maybe they're beginning the path or they're still trying to get there. And so if you're sort of, maybe you're sort of skeptically looking at some of these slides that Richard's shown or whatever, and you're not quite there, Hey, that's fine. You know what you go on your own pace and, uh, and it is what it is. So Richard, like give us one more time where people can connect with you and listen to your podcast or any of that or your book. Yeah. Our, our website is listen, learn, and And you can email me at Richard at oslergroup.com. And I'm glad to interact with anybody who would like to interact with me. Perfect. All right. And the last question I have for you, Richard, is uh, what final encouragement? I know you've given a lot of encouragement, but uh, how would you send us off with some final encouragement to leaders when it comes to ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints? My advice for is keep them connected with their heavenly parents, even if they feel their path is to step away from the church. Keep them connected with heavenly parents that love them, 
will always love them. They, nothing anybody can do can take us outside the love of our heavenly parents and, and their desire to want to be involved in our lives. So my final advice is to keep everybody of stewardship responsibility or influence connected to heavenly parents because they're likely to make better decisions. And the Savior and his ability to heal and bring hope He's descended below all things. So somehow, in some way, he understands the pain LGBTQ people feel. And as they connect with the power of the atonement, they can feel that help in their lives. That concludes this presentation by Richard Osler. You can tell by the quality of this type of information just how awesome this virtual summit is going to be. You do not want to miss it. The LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. Go to leadingsaints.org slash LGBT. There you can uh, register for free. Make sure you don't miss any of the other presentations, 20 plus uh, presenters that are all going to be presenting in the days following September 8th. So go to leadingsaints.org slash LGBT to register and uh, don't miss it. And don't forget, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash LGBT to learn all the details about the upcoming LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.